Live uh, to Tell is the theme that we have chosen for our 25th uh, anniversary as we celebrate here. For those of you who uh, have seen some of the publicity, you'll have noticed that it said uh, Live to Tell. And also on our shirts, we put that on the back of our shirts, Live to Tell, because that is uh, who we are and uh, what we are about. And I think we see that uh, coming out of the Bible passage that Brett read for us earlier, Psalm 145. So if you have your uh, Bibles and you can open to Psalm 145, we'll be uh, looking at that passage this morning as we consider uh, where do we go uh, in these next uh, 25 years. Now there are uh, fanatics, we all know uh, fanatics, right? People who get real jazzed about some, uh, some topic or uh, some passion in life and, and you meet them and they just know everything about it, they just talk about it, and they really go over the top with it. Uh, and today, if you're watching some of the NFL football, uh, you will notice some of those, some of which I have pictured for you here on the screen today, uh, these fanatics. And I saw the picture of the guy in the center uh, this week on the news. And I just want to give that guy props for a well-placed Philadelphia uh, fanatic uh, tattoo right on his belly button. I think that is just uh, an incredible, he does get props for that. I don't quite understand what he was thinking, but uh, that is one of the best place tattoos that I have ever seen. But what amazes me with these fanatics is, uh, and I will often say that to my wife on Sunday, I go, they got up this morning and somehow in their minds went, this is a good idea. I, I'm going to put all this makeup on my face, I'm going to dress as uh, weirdly as I can and then stand in front of thousands of people and cheer, and they actually make this conscious choice. But I'm not sure that they think twice about it because they're sold out for their teams, right? They're, they're fanatics. And we get that idea of what it means to be a fanatic. And I see in our Bible reading this morning that David is a fanatic. David is a fanatic. And if I had to ask you based on that Bible reading, what is David a fanatic of, your response would be? God. Yeah, David is a fanatic of God. We see David coming right out of the chute here in Psalm 145. Exalts you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you. And I will extol your name forever and ever. And then he sums it up with one last line. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. And there is David. Can you see him there? He's just going over the top. I'll exalt you, my God and King. I will praise your name. Can you see David? Oh, God placard that he's holding up in his hand and he, and he decided to dress up like God. I don't know what that is. Maybe robe, maybe. Maybe it's a robe. He put lightning bolts on his cheeks or something like that. And maybe he's got these bright, yeah, I don't know. I hope God looks better than that. But I hope, I, uh, but there he is. He's going fanatic for God. And actually, I think we do read when, well, how David, he didn't dress up. He undressed for God, right? He undressed. He showed up in just kind of his loincloth, danced for God. And his, his wife was like, oh, my goodness, honey, will you get in the house right now? You're king. You're standing here naked. And he's like, hey, if I'm going to be undignified, let me be undignified for the Lord because I'm a fanatic for God. And there's David being a fanatic for God. And this whole psalm is just filled with why, right? So you always go back to the why. Why is he so excited for God? Why would he be a fanatic 
And he says there, as you look through it, he says uh, in verse 7, they celebrate your abundant goodness. I'm going to sing, God, for your righteousness. God, you are gracious in compassion. God, you are slow to anger and rich in love. You are good to all you have made. All your works praise you, God. Everything, your kingdom speaks of your might. Your kingdom is glorious, God. You are from everlasting, God. You are trustworthy in all you promise. You are faithful in all that you do. You uphold all who fall, and you lift up all who are bowed down. That was me, God. You give us our food. You provide for us. And you satisfy our desires in every living thing. God, you are righteous. God, you are faithful. God, you are near to us when we call you. God, you fulfill the desires of all who, are, who fear you. God, you watch over all of us who love you. God, the wicked will not be able to destroy me. And David goes on because he sees God over and over and over again. He brings these attributes to God. He says, I'm sold out for God. I'm sold out and I will bless his name forever and ever and ever. There's David being a fanatic for God. He is pouring out his life for God. And what's the result? What's the outpouring? Because David's heart has been so filled with his experience of God. That's it's a little thing that we're building in today just, just to keep you alert. I've noticed over the last 25 years there's been a history of people napping during my messages. And uh, so we're going to make sure that doesn't... It's a new thing that we're, uh, we're going to do here this morning. So just stay alert, all right? So what's the, uh, what is the result of David being so fanatic uh, for God? We see that at the end of Psalm 145. David says in verse 21, he says, My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. And David said that earlier. He said, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. And he says in verse 5, they speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And then in verse 6 he says, they tell of the power of your awesome works. And then he says, I will proclaim your great deeds. Do you see where all of this, all of this that David has within him, all that he's fanatical about with God, all the ways that he experienced the goodness of God, where it's manifesting itself and, and where it's evident in David's life, it's coming from his mouth. It's coming from his mouth. And David is at a point where he says, I, there's only one thing about me. I live to tell about God. I experienced all this awesomeness of God. I'm fanatical for him. And I'm going to tell about God. I'm going to tell everyone about God. And, and I love the phrase that he even has in there. He says, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. That's a special emphasis that David has looking back behind him to the next generation. He's saying, we got another generation coming up. While I've experienced God, while I know how awesome God is, I need to tell this generation. I need to make sure those coming up behind me that they know how awesome God is. And that word that he uses here is commends. He says they uh, commend, and that has a little bit of uh, a little bit of power and maybe a little bit of oomph behind it. Uh, when I read that word, I think of sometimes the uh, obnoxious person that you go to a uh, a restaurant with, and you sit down with them, and you're going to order something, 
uh, and you got it also what you're going to order. And they're like, oh my goodness, last time I was here, I just, I just had the, the baked roasted pork ravioli. And it was awesome. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just making this up. I'm a pastor, not a culinary artist, all right? There's no, sh no shame, please. Uh, what did I say? Bake, I should have picked a better example. Bake roasted pork ravioli. There you go. Bake roasted pork ravioli. And you're like, oh, no, I don't think I want the baked pork uh, roasted ravioli. I'm going to stick over here because I've been coming out for Oh, no, you got to have the baked pork. The, you got to have the ravioli. You got to have because it's, it's just the best. It's to die for. You got to have the ravioli. Well, no, I really thought I would, I'm, you know, I'm on Weight Watchers and I'm trying to eat right and do this. Oh, forget that. You got to have the ravioli. It's the best thing in the world. I was here. I just, I just help it. It is so good. You got to eat it. Have you been by that person before? And then you're getting ready to order, and the waitress comes over, and they're like, just tell, just how good the baked pork roasted ravioli is. Just, just tell how good it, well, it's, it's, pre, it's pretty good. It's one of our, see, you got to have it, all right? You get that? That's what I think is behind this word, commend. I'm not just going to tell you. I'm going to put behind it, and I'm going to impress it upon you. And I'm going to press it upon you and come after you and let you know how awesome and great it is. And David says, that's what we're doing to the next generation. We're saying, this is God. And, and we're not going to let you escape through this life without knowing who he is. We're going to tell you how awesome he is. And as I go through my daily life, I'm going to tell how awesome God is. I'm going to proclaim how good God is. I am going to live to tell how awesome God is. And so that begs the question this morning, doesn't it? That, that if you're sitting here and you're saying, well, I, I don't really live to tell about God, then maybe the question that we need to ask is, have you had that experience of God? Have you had that experience that David lists right there? Could you create a psalm like that where you would just list the goodness and the glory and the awesomeness of God? Would you be able to do that? To say in your life, this is who God is. This is what God has done for me. I wasn't just lost, I was dead and God made me alive. I was wandering in the darkness, and God showed me his light. I was a sinner, and God gave me his grace and mercy. I owe everything to God. And maybe we need to wrestle with that. Maybe we're not fanatic about God, because we haven't truly experienced who he is. We're fanatic about a lot of other things in this world that I find out. People have no problems telling me about their kids. People have no problem talking about sports teams. People have no problem talking about uh, Donald Trump, nay or yay. People have, they're fanatic about all kinds of things. But are you fanatic about God? Then you just have to tell about him. Because Jesus tells us in his, in his word, he, he says in Matthew 6, that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in here comes out of here. And so David was known after, as a man after God's own heart, and as a result, God is coming out of his mouth. Is your mouth speaking about God? Does your mouth live to tell about God because God just owns your heart, and you love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and you, you live to tell? The prophet Jeremiah said, I have the word of God, uh, and, there, and, and it's like a fire inside me. Can you imagine that? Imagine that description 
a fire inside me. He said, in fact, it's like a fire in my bones. And, and I have to get it out or I'm just going to stand here and implode. You know, he's just like, if I don't tell about God, it's just going to be like, day over for me. Because it's so much about God in there. And, and notice what, what Peter calls us. It turn, if you have 1 Peter 2. I know I reference this verse on a number of occasions. But look at what it says here. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. He's talking to us, his people, to the church. 1 Peter 2, 9, and he says, But you are a chosen people. That's us, chosen by God, a royal priesthood. Why? Because we're children of the king. We're a holy nation. How is that possible? Through Jesus Christ, who died for us to make us holy so we can stand before God. Who are we now? God's special possession. And then notice what it says. That you may. That you may. All of that was done. All of this saving work of Jesus Christ, everything that God has done in your life right here, so that you may, what's the next word? Declare. What's that word? Declare. Which is again done with your mouth that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who you are. And that's what God does. He reaches down into the world, and he takes uh, uh, unholy people living in an unholy world, and he takes them out, and he makes them holy, and then he puts them back into the unholy world, and he asks them to be holy and to tell people about their God who made them holy. And that's us. That's what we do. That's who we are. We live to tell about Jesus. God said, I did all of this, not so you could just be happy and comfortable and not occasionally show up to church and, and not just live a cultural Christian life, but I did this so that you would know who I am. You'd be impassioned about who I am. You would live to tell about me. I did that because I want the whole world to know my glory. What you experienced here at Orchard Hill in your 25 years together, the reason that you can celebrate, I gotta tell you, there's hundreds, thousands, millions of people today who can't celebrate that goodness. And you have to tell them. You're my called out ones, the church, so that you can proclaim, that you can bring my word. We are to live to tell. It's that simple that we live to tell. And friends, we're gonna be dialing that up here at Orchard Hill. Over the next few years, you're gonna hear more about it as we move into our uh, stewardship campaign. We are setting a goal that over the next three years that we share the good news of Jesus Christ with over a thousand people. If we share that good news with a thousand people, that roughly me means each one of us has to share the good news with one person each year for the next three years. Well, in many ways, I think that bar is way too low, right? Asking you to reach one person a year? Eh, I'm not sure I find that in the scriptures. However, how many have we been reaching per year? Hmm? So, I think setting a goal that we would reach one person a year is a pretty bold goal for each of us to do that. And so one of the tools that we're going to be using, which I want to give to you right now, is you'll find in the end of your pews is a little magnet. This is awesome. You guys just uh, suddenly wake up. There's like this lull and I see people slumping in their chair. 
It's going down. I see Joe taking a nap over there, and all of a sudden, bam, he's back on. Make sure everybody gets one of these. They're in the pews. Share with your neighbor. It says live to tell on the bottom. Uh, this is our gift to you today just for being here. We thought you were $1.50, so here you are. Happy anniversary. This is your gift. Notice that it's an interactive gift. It interacts in two ways. One, it has a magnet on the back side, so that means you get to, stick to you can stick it to your fridge. Now, if you don't have a refrigerator at home, find something else that's made out of metal that you can stick it to. Uh, some other place where you can see it every day. It also, your desk at work, that would be a beautiful place. We're getting going, now we're getting the idea. Your locker, your locker. Why did that come from this side and not that side? Your, lock, your car, all right, I think we're getting the hang of where all this metal is around us that we can put these on. Okay, enough. I get the picture, you get to hang it up, all right? Let's move on. Sorry. On the back side, you also have a marker. How about that? Yeah, a marker. It'll probably last like four writings, but it's a marker nonetheless. You can find more in the office store. And that marker is not to be taped onto the back permanently, but you're supposed to take it off. And what you do with that marker is you write on this, right? Live to tell. And so what I want to uh, ask you to do is first I want you to identify somebody that you know in your sphere of influence. Maybe next to your locker at school. Maybe somebody that you run over in your car. Maybe somebody that's in your workplace. So when you see the magnet, you'll know who that person is. So identify a person around you, a neighbor, a family member, maybe somebody who's sitting near you here in church. Identify somebody, and then, did you figure this out yet? Write their name on here. Because you have one goal, is you think about that person who is very far away from God, who is living in darkness, who hasn't experienced all this goodness of God, as you think about them, you now want to... Pray for them. No, Rob. <laughs> no, it's written right out there on the bottom of the magnet. Live to tell, there we go. Right on the bottom of the magnet, live to tell. You have the person's name. And then you say, I'm going to live to tell them. Today I get up. So you've identified somebody. And then what you want to do is begin to intercede for them. I would ask you to put their name on here, and then for the next 30 days, begin to intercede and begin to pray for them. To pray for them. To pray that you would have the courage to talk to them. To pray that God would cultivate the soil in their life. To be good soil so when they hear the word, the word would go in. To pray for an opportunity for you uh, just to open the door. This is a prayer that God wants to answer. Because evangelism and sharing and witnessing and living to tell is not about us. It's about the, the, the Spirit of God going ahead of us. It's a spiritual thing, and so we need to be praying. In fact, I believe Acts 2 tells us that the uh, disciples, the early church, they met together and prayed. And each day, the emphasis, each day the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And could it be that we're not lighting our candle each and every week, that we haven't been seeing people come to faith because we just really haven't been praying for them? We need to be praying. 
We need to be asking God to go ahead. And so make that your prayer every day. And because you have this handy magnet, which is stuck on your locker or stuck on your refrigerator or on your car, when you see it, you go, oh, i got to pray for that person. And you begin to pray for that. What ask in the next 30 days? You simply start investing in their life. Right? We believe in re- that faith is passed on in authentic relationships. It's not that this person is a project. This person is somebody that you already know, that you care about, that the love of God is motivating you because you, you want them to experience the kingdom of God and not be lost. And so you're going to invest in them. And so you're going to invest in the life of your coworker. You're going you're to share in the life of your neighbor. You're going to walk alongside your family member. You're just going to spend time with them, and you're going to be a valuable part of their life. And then as you do that, because you've identified them, you've been interceding, you're, you're spending time with them, and then when it naturally occurs, you're going to invite them to hear the story of God. When you get to that point with them where they say, man, I've been struggling. Man, my, my life has been hurting. I never thought I would see the world come to this. When all of those doors begin to open, you just simply say, I had that struggle. Can I tell you how I made it through? I never thought I would see that either, but here's the hope that I have. I've experienced that too, and this is how I made it through. It becomes a natural conversation because God is going way ahead of you because you've been praying for that person, and the scriptures tell us that the harvest is plentiful. My goodness, let's believe God in that. It's plentiful. I don't dare share because somebody will say no. Does the scripture say that? You open your mouth and you share about me, people will say no. I don't read that in the Bible. I read the harvest is plentiful. And so we share the good news. And we invite them to come to know who Jesus is. It's not our job necessarily to get them across the line of faith. We share and we present the good news and God has to draw them to himself. That's what we do. And I want to encourage you to begin building that process into your life. Think of your person while I'm taking a drink. And write it on there. Right. This past summer, I had the opportunity to uh, travel uh, with a, a large group from Orchard Hill uh, to Israel. And uh, the 40 or so of us uh, stood here on this beach uh, in the summer. Uh, this place is called Tabka. And Tabka is, uh, the name for that is uh, Seven Springs. Because the Sea of Galilee is really uh, fed by the waters from Mount Hermon, the snow melt from Mount Hermon, and that snow makes it all the way down. And so that water is pretty cold. But the Seven Springs near, near Tabka bring warm water into the Sea of Galilee. And so those of you who are like me and are avid fishermen, you know that in that spot there where the warm water is coming into the lake is where all the fish want to hang out. And that area is exactly where Jesus' disciples hung out and what came from in Bethsaida and Capernaum and Tabca because they were fishermen. And they knew that's where you would catch the fish. You would catch what? Fish. Yeah, see, this is to keep everybody alert, all right? You would catch the fish there in that place. And so we stood there on the beach on that day. And uh, we thought about the story that Jesus told, uh, that we read in the Bible, the encounter that Jesus had with his disciples when they had been out fishing late one night. And uh, they, they, were, they had caught absolutely nothing. And Jesus comes along and he tells them 
I want you uh, to throw your nets on the other side. And they're like, did you hear Jesus? He's a nut job. What's he talking about? He doesn't know how to fish. He's just a white-collar guy who knows his Bible. He doesn't know anything about, he doesn't know anything about fishing. He's telling us to throw on the all right, because he thinks we'll show him. We'll throw it on the other side. And they throw their nets out on the other side, where, of course, there's no fish because it's cold. We've been fishing in the warm water, Jesus, but okay, we'll throw them over there. And they throw it in, and the net is stuffed with fish. And in that moment, Jesus looks at them, and he says to them, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. men. With that image before them, with nets full and overflowing, nets that they couldn't even contain, Jesus says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, follow me, I will make you great theologians. He didn't say, follow me, I will make you great social activists. He didn't say, follow me, I will just make you loving people who live in the world. He said, no, follow me in one purpose that you will live to tell. Follow me and I will make you fisher of men, that you will tell people about me. And so I asked our group, while we stood there on the beach, to to look in the the shore around them, to find maybe a, a rock that they could find in the water right there along that beach that they could take home with them and set in a place, because at that time we didn't have the snappy magnets, but I asked them if they could take a rock home from that beach and from that shore to remember, every time they looked at it, Jesus call. This is who we are, to be fisher of men. And that's who we are. Let's not forget that, that that is our purpose as the church, as the called out ones, to continue to tell people about Jesus Christ That's how people come to faith. Paul talks about that in Romans. I want to turn there just a minute, if you have your Bibles open, to Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 17. Look at what verse 10, 17 says. Faith comes from hearing the message. Where does faith come from? Hearing Hearing the message. So how, how do I hear the message? Hearing. No, no, no. Somebody has to tell me. There we go. It's time for another balloon to pop. You're getting a little off your game. How do I hear? Somebody has to tell me, right? Somebody has to tell me the message. And so what happens? It says, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word, the word ab- about Christ. The word about Christ. That means we tell the word, people hear the word, and they come to faith. So if none of us is living to tell, if Orchard Hill goes another year and we do not open our mouths to share the good news of Jesus Christ with anyone around us, nobody hears. Nobody comes to faith. We keep having nice little warm parties every Sunday morning together, but the church of Jesus Christ is not going. We're not living out our mission to proclaim God to the world. We need to tell. Look what Paul says up above that while we got this open. Uh, Verse 11. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them. That's the word. Not preaching means you bring them to church so they can listen to me. Because we all know that that has limited ability, right? 
Instead, you preach. The word there is you share. You tell. You witness. You tell your story to them. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's us. That's who we are. We're beautiful because we bring good news. And the world wants us to think that we bring bad news. The world wants us to think we bring bad news. In fact, everything in the media, everything that you hear in, in colleges, everything that you hear from politicians, everything that you may even hear from your neighbors or coworkers is, what you have to say, Christians, is bad news. But who is the enemy? He's the deceiver. He's the liar. He wants us to believe that, so we keep our mouths shut. Because he knows if we open our mouths, the harvest is plentiful. And people will hear and God will draw them to faith. That's the truth. That's what's in Scripture. And for far too long, we've believed the lies of the enemy. Instead, we have good news. We have good news. And there are people all around you that are hurting, that are broken, that are in pain, that are in darkness, that are suffering, that are confused, that are in, in, in chaos. And they need to hear the good news of our God. Amen. People, if we are going to be here and celebrate our 50th anniversary, if I'm going to stand here at the age of 81 and deliver them, well, that would be something. Well, good morning, Orchard Hill. Uh, hopefully by that time, Greg and Laura will have retired me and uh, somebody else will be pastoring. But if we're to be here 50 year, 50th anniversary, we know sociologically and across the board that churches die, usually start dying and declining after their 30th year. Across the board. 25 years, you hit your mark, unless then you start declining, you probably can last another 50, 60, maybe 70 years, some even 100. It all depends how much money you have. You can just sustain things going, but there's no life, no vitality, and you're on your way towards death. That if we are going to exist and make it to our 50th anniversary, the key is right here. That you live L. That you live to tell. Jesus, you got to remember when Jesus, one of the very last words that he said to his disciples, he said to them, and by extension what he said to them goes to us, he says, you are to be my witnesses, right? His last words, that's pretty important. Be my witnesses. That's all you're asked. You're not asked to have a, a, a theological treatise with somebody. You're not asked to deliver a great apologetic. You're just simply asked to tell. Tell what God's done in your life. Tell the goodness of God. Tell how he provided for you. Tell how you found him to be faithful. Tell how you found his kingdom to be awesome. You can do that. And that's what we're called to do. And Jesus entrusted that message to those 12 fishermen and said, go, make fishers of men. And by them going and giving witness to Jesus, they turned the world upside down. And we are here today because one of those 12 lived to tell the message. And the message was commended to the next generation and proclaimed to the next and to the next. We're only going to make it if we live to tell. That's who we need to be, people of God. That's who we are, the church, the called out ones. And so I just want to ask you now, 
to seriously think through who is it that's on this, on this speech bubble. Maybe you don't have their name on there now, but I encourage you to take it. How do you be serious about this? Because don't be disobedient in this. Because we like to point a lot of fingers at people who, who sin in the world around us, don't we? Oh, look at them. They're sinners. Oh, look at them. Let us be obedient. Let us just worry about ourselves, not other people. If we would just worry about being holy before God and being faithful in following Jesus and living to tell, we would see the church grow in some tremendous ways. And so let's, let's be obedient in this, all of us, and, and put a name on here. And right now I just want to ask you just to close your eyes as you think about that name and hold this in your hand. Just hold this in your hand. Say, God, who is this? Who is this, God, that you are putting in my path? Who is that God may be nudging you towards? Who is the one person right now that the Holy Spirit is impressing upon your heart? And with an open hand, just hold that, hold that speech bubble open before God. Say, God, here they are. Here they are, God. I want them to know. I want them to experience your love. I want them to know the truth. God, I want them to be captured by the joy of their salvation. And God, would you use me? Right now, God, I take a stand that in this next year, I will live to tell. I will live to tell about you. And so as you work in and through me, may you make the gospel story come alive in my heart again. May you help me remember the joy of my salvation. Will you help me to, to, to just relive this gospel story, God, that I may just love it more and more. And that from, from the, the depths of my heart, the overflow of my mouth will speak. God, may you make that story fresh in my life. And God, may you not only make that story fresh in my life, but we ask, God, that as we hold, as we hold these speech, speech bubbles out before you, God, that we would, that we would uh, see this story continue in the life of, of at least 300 or 400 more here in the life of this church in the next year. God, would you continue to work your gospel story in the next generation and in those that we move forward? Because great story. It's the only story that's worth telling. And may you help us in this day to love that story enough and live that story in our lives so that we will tell the story. God, may this person that we are holding before you hear the story and receive the story in their life.